0: All right, we are turning to Matthew chapter 7 once again. So if you're looking in your bulletin, if you're visiting with us, you haven't been here the past couple weeks, something like that, uh, we made some adjustments. This this passage, chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, I was just going to preach one sermon on, but it turned into three, and so it messed our bulletins up a little bit. So we're going to be, again, in chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read that for us now. If you would, please give your attention now to the reading of God's Word. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Father, I pray, God, that uh, we first thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the fact that it is uh, a lamp and a light for our path, for our feet. Uh, it is the only rule for faith and practice. We thank you for that. And God, I pray that this morning you would, you would help me. That you would be pleased to use me, uh, fallen, sinful man, to be able to bring your perfect, infallible word to your people. God, I pray that you would be pleased to do so. Keep me from error, God. Help us all to understand your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So looking at Jesus' words here, a lot comes to mind. And we've pulled out three main things and we've divided up the passage accordingly over the past couple of weeks. So first, we're not to be as critical of others and their sin as we are of our own. We, We looked at that the first week. Two, the reason we do that, is because God judges our deeds in this life. We talked about that last week, uh, the the importance of not forgetting the fear of the Lord even as children of God. God is both father and judge and has expectations of us as his children. And then three, we pick up on this idea that we're supposed to judge. Jesus' statement, judge not, is not just a blanket statement he's he's, he's instructing his disciples to judge, but to judge with a righteous judgment. And we see this in places like Deuteronomy 1, uh, that we're we're to judge our neighbor fairly. And in John chapter 7, uh, Jesus says, don't judge by appearances, but judge with a right judgment. So the question this morning is, how do we do that? How, how How do we judge with a righteous judgment? How do we go about doing that? And do we, bad word here, discriminate. Did Jesus discriminate? Yes. Yes, he did. And he didn't do it based on color. He didn't do it based on ethnicity or age or disability. That's the kind of discrimination that comes to mind when we use the word, because that's That's the kind of discrimination that fallen, sinful human beings are most familiar with. That's the the kind that we engage in, not for Jesus. To discriminate is to recognize a distinction. It's being able to differentiate. So shouldn't we be able to do that? Shouldn't we be able to tell the difference between what's safe and unsafe for our children, parents? Who's safe, who's not? Where is safe, where's not? Should we be able to tell the difference between what is holy and profane? What is good and what is evil, right and wrong? What is good company and bad company? Should we be able to recognize the difference between truth and lies and be able to call them by name? That's what we're talking about this morning, and we're looking at this part of the passage where Jesus in verse 6 says, don't give to dogs what is holy, and don't throw pearls before pigs. All of Jesus' farewell, fair, you know, fair fans in the beginning, they bail out here, right? They liked when it was just judge not, period, end of sermon, right? But there's a discrimination here, a judgment call. And it's an examination of behavior and values that tell us something uh, about a person. And it lets us know who's inside and who's outside the church. So we have some work to do there. Is, is, is the way that we judge and treat our brothers and sisters in the church different than the way we judge and treat our neighbors outside the church? We know we're to love our neighbor We don't hate our neighbor. We don't treat our neighbor like like garbage or like they're not worth our time. Not at all. That's not at all what Jesus is saying, but there's a distinction to be made, and we have to be able to make it. So the main idea this morning is that judgments are necessary to preserve Christ's church. And there's one point. The basis of our judgments is to be the revealed will of God and not our own preferences and whims. You'll see that applies to both Christians and non-Christians. I'm going to pose several questions to you this morning as we go through this, and then we'll reason together from Scripture how to answer them. Okay? Because we don't want to be the hypocrites like the Pharisees. We don't want to be hypocrites like the Pharisees. We don't want to measure people according to our own standard of measure. That's precisely what Jesus is warning his disciples against we want to make right judgments. And here's the deal, just disclaimer, you got to know this from the outset. The world will still judge you for your judgment. And will still call you hypocrites. Even when this is done rightly. They'll still call you names. But according to what standard? Their own. Their own standard. We're, we're not, we can't allow ourselves to be concerned with that. Being judged by somebody else's measuring stick. Isn't that what Jesus says? Like, don't do that. That applies to, to people outside the church, too. They can't just pull out their own rulers and measuring sticks. We're not concerned with someone else's standard. We're concerned with God's standard as revealed in his word. And the reality is, y'all, got to be honest. If our judgments are based on our own preferences and whims, if we're pulling out our own measuring sticks and wagging our fingers at the world, we are, as they say, hypocrites, bigoted, hateful, judgmental Christians. But if we apply God's Word rightly to ourselves first, being poor in spirit and acknowledging our failure to measure up, and our need of God's grace and mercy, then we can and should rightly apply God's word to what we observe in the world and the culture around us. Now, not doing that, abstaining from doing that, is not loving. That's not charitable. Don't call that winsome. Not doing that is failing to be salt and light. That's what it is. It's not winsome, it's cowardly. But doing it and doing it right will still be called wrong and unloving by the culture. Got to know that going into it, okay? So we can see how important this is for us to really understand this. It's important that you in good conscience can discern what is objectively good and what is objectively evil. It's important that you can walk through life in this world past barking dogs and not be shamed for their barking. I'll never forget one time I heard a preacher use this illustration. It stuck with me all these years. He said, this world is like a a mad barking dog. And he only barks at strangers. And if that dog's not barking at you, it's probably because you're part of that dog's family. We need to understand this righteous judgment thing because in our lifetimes, at least for now, In our lifetimes right now, in this cultural moment, it's never been more advantageous to camouflage our Christianity, to pretend we're not strangers, and to cozy up with rabid dogs for the sake of our self-preservation. Well, if that's not hypocritical, I don't know what is. So here we go, question number one. Who gave you the right to judge anyone? Isn't that the the Trump card people lay down for you when you're you're thinking the wrong way about sensitive issues like homosexuality, transgenderism, uh, gender roles in marriage, things like this, what the family is? Who gave you the right to judge? It's not your place to judge anyone else. Is that true? Is it true that... That love is love. That a woman is whatever anyone who identifies as a woman says one is. Is it true that it's morally acceptable to have as many sexual partners as one wants? And that we can redefine the family for whatever we want it to be? No. That's not true. And we don't determine that by our own standard. We determine it by God's standard. We're not the standard of morality. (laughs) But that doesn't mean there is no standard for morality. God is the standard for morality. And his standard is not unknowable. It's revealed to us in his word. So when it comes to, to love... He defines what love is because God is love, right? And God made woman. We talked about this a little bit this morning, didn't we, Jennifer? God made woman. He knows what one is. Man is the glory of God and woman is the glory of the man, 1 Corinthians eleven seven. 7. Man is the glory of God. And woman is the glory of the man. Woman is the glory of the glory of God. That's who God says a woman is. And he knows that a a man playing dress up is just that. An imposter that cannot compare to the beautiful, unique, life-giving creature that he made woman to be. God determines what sex is for, right? Casual dating, hookup culture, it's not just the way things are these days. Abstinence before marriage isn't just old-fashioned. It's God-fashioned. It's God-fashioned. Sex is a gift from God to be enjoyed within the bounds of blessed matrimony between one man and one woman. And what it normally leads to is the building up a family. Something grows out of that beautiful union that he ordains. Now, none of that is merely our preference. Do you see? None of that's just our preference. If it were, we'd be guilty of making unrighteous judgments when we say that those who do not conform to these standards are wrong, are out of bounds. We're not insisting anyone... Conform to our preferences. We're insisting that those made in the image of God are subject to his rules and his standards and his patterns of life. So the answer to the question, who gave you the right to judge anyone? Is God. God gives us the right to judge. Not to condemn. Not to condemn. They're condemned already if they do not believe in the Son. so Scripture tells us. And not by us. They're not condemned by us. They're condemned by God. So it's not condemning judgment that God gives us, the right to, to, to use, to employ, but the right to discern and to discriminate between what is natural according to his design for us and therefore what is a perversion of it. We're supposed to make judgments as to what is good and evil, what is true and false, what is holy and profane. We have to know the difference. All right, now question number two. Who says your God is right? You're using your religion as a cop-out, someone might say, right? You're, You're judging others for how they choose to live their lives, and then you're hiding behind your God saying you're not judging them, God is. So who says your God is right? How do you answer that one? Here it is. God does. I mean, that's the answer. It, it doesn't matter that they don't buy it. That's the answer. If you come up with some other answer, you've you're, you got a measuring stick you're not supposed to be using. I mean, we're talking about ultimate authority here, okay? So I don't want to get too heady or philosophical, but just think about this for a second, okay? If I appeal to something other than God to prove God's authority... I've just made that other thing the authority. You see how that works? If I say I'm the strongest man in the room, and I'm not, Thomas Campbell probably is. Okay? But if I say I'm the strongest man in the room, and then I demonstrate that, I go to prove that by using someone else's strength, all I've accomplished is I've proved that, that that's the strongest man in the room. You see? God proves God is right. God proves God is right. And he's not silent on these issues that we've mentioned. He has spoken in his word, and his word is authoritative. And it's authoritative not just over Christians, right? This isn't isn't a club you become a member of, and then you have to abide by the rules. No, these rules apply universally. It's just now we've been freed by the power of the Spirit, freed from bondage to sin, and able to obey. these rules apply universally if that weren't true if God's word and his rules and his standards and his patterns for life were only true for people who bought into them then there would be no judgment for unbelievers but those who have not believed in the son are condemned already as we said John 3 18 condemned for what sin breaking God's Law. It's universally applicable. It's not just for Christians. And people think, well, I don't worship your God, so I don't have to obey him. That's just, just childish thinking, though, isn't it? I mean, you cannot believe in speed limits. You still get a ticket. We're all under the authority of our maker, and he says he's right. I know people don't like that. You know, they think they can opt out because they say they don't believe in God, ours or any other. But here's the thing. If there is no objective transcendent truth, if there's not, if there's not a truth that's outside of ourselves, right, that's, that's above us, that's, that's universally applicable, then there's, there's no standard by which anyone can judge anything ever. But we all do. All the time we're always making judgments. And that points to the existence of the triune God of Scripture who reveals himself to us and his will for us in his word. We don't base our judgments on anything other than the revealed will of God. Basing our judgments on anything else makes us the hypocrites Jesus warns us not to be. It makes us the authority instead of him the authority. That's really the issue and we know from God's word he will not stand for that we base our judgments on the revealed will of God and his word our judgments are absolutely necessary to preserve the church we don't abstain from making judgments we have to be able to make them and if we didn't the church would suffer society would crumble the salt and light thing comes up a lot doesn't it do you see how that applies you know, again, a refresher, I gave us one a, a couple weeks ago, but um, we, we talked in that sermon in chapter 5 about salt and light. Salt is, is a preservative, and it was, it, was, it was like a fertilizer. It was something that would help good things grow. It was something that would prevent bad things from growing. You know, th- these are things that, that we do as, as Christian people. It's what we're intended for. It's what we've, we've been saved on purpose, not just to reserve our, our seat in heaven one day, right, but saved for his purposes in our lives in the earth. So if we didn't, if we weren't able to make these accurate assessments, these right and godly assessments, these judgments, then the church would suffer and the kingdom would not advance. And before we get into that, let's see if this checks out what I've said so far, okay, that our judgments are necessary to preserve the church. I've made a claim. We we have to back it up with scripture because some Christians might say, Jesus says don't judge, period. Period. You know, just stay out of it. Just let people live their lives. You know, they're not they're not in the church. They don't they don't follow our stuff. And so we should just assume that they're they're not gonna they're not gonna play ball. It shouldn't surprise us when they sin and there's nothing we can do about it. Let God sort them out. Okay? Well, is that true? Is that what we should do? Or is there something to this about making right judgments? God calling on his people to be able to to call the pitches as their throne. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 13. Uh, we're going to look at the first few verses here. Deuteronomy chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. Here's hear some pages turning. I'll give you just a second. I do want you to read it along with me if you have a copy of God's word with you. If you don't, by the way, and you want one, we have some extras out on the table there. Please take one home with you. Those are for you. All right, Deuteronomy 13, uh, beginning at verse 1. God says, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. Because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. There's a few other case points that that, that he follows that up with. So the question, okay, another question. If someone says they're a Christian and they portray God or his will as something different than what is revealed in Scripture. Do you take their word for it? I see people shaking their head. Why not? Isn't that uncharitable? I mean, they're Christians, right? That's what they said. Same team. Let's look at First Timothy chapter 6. Turn there with me. 1 Timothy chapter 6, big flip in your Bible. We're just going to look at two verses there, verses 3 and 5, 3 through 5 rather. 1 Timothy chapter 6, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with sound, the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Question, does right doctrine matter? It does if we want to preserve the church. Amen? It's necessary for us to be able to make right judgments about what is sound doctrine. And how do we do it? According to his word. Let's go to Acts chapter 20. Flip back a little pinch. Acts chapter 20. I'm just looking at verses 28 and 30. Just two verses again. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Question Do we need to be able to recognize who are the wolves so that the flock can be protected? Who gave you the right to judge anyone? God. Who says your God is right? God. And here in these verses, this is Paul speaking here in in the book of Acts um, in this section. And he's speaking to elders specifically in the church in Ephesus. And that raises an interesting point worth taking a look at. So we talk about judgment being necessary to preserve the church. Go back over to 1 Timothy chapter 3 this time. 1 Timothy chapter 3, looking at verses uh, 1 through 7, Paul says, The saying is trustworthy, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, that's who he was just talking about, right, back there in Acts chapter 20, an overseer. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Question. Is that not a long list of judgments on a man's very character? Is anything left off the table? Could it be any more invasive? God says, through the pen of Paul, if a man is to be an elder, examine his reputation, his marriage, his parenting, his habits, his demeanor, his abilities. And many of these same things are listed for deacons in the following verses. Those judgments are necessary for preserving Christ's church. We won't turn there, but in Matthew chapter 18, where we have our understanding of of what church discipline looks like, Jesus lays out the steps for judging a brother in sin. You go to him privately first. If he's not persuaded, you take one or two with you. If he still doesn't listen, then you, you tell the church, and if he still refuses the church, then you are to treat him as a Gentile or tax gatherer. Do we treat Gentiles and tax gatherers like scum? Christians didn't. Now, now, the Jews at that time did, right? Look down their noses at them. It doesn't mean you treat them like scum, but it does mean you stop pretending they're a Christian. You go from believing that they were inside the church to now knowing they are not and not treating them as if they are you see His, the, the choices and behaviors of, of somebody like this have have proved that they're not what they claim to be and you have to be able to make that assessment those judgments are hard they're hard but they are necessary for preserving the church And those judgments help us uh, to to rightly assess false teaching when we see it. We've got to be able to know it when we see it. Um, Teachers who Jesus calls wolves in sheep's clothing. We've got to be able to judge rightly in order to obey Jesus' command to steer clear of them, right? We've got to be able to tell who is truly a Christian and who's just plain Christian by examining their fruits. And, you know, Jesus goes on later in the same chapter. He starts to talk about all this. And he's talking about it here in verse 6 about not giving to dogs and pigs what is holy. And he goes on later about judging true teaching from false teaching, about good fruit and bad fruit. And we're supposed to know the difference between good and evil, and and that means making judgments. So it's clear when we take the whole of Jesus' teaching and all of the Bible, we're not left with a command to just never judge anyone ever. We're supposed to be careful though. We're supposed to be careful in how we judge. It's not a command to never judge. It's instruction on how to judge. And so let's talk for a minute about what we've mentioned a couple times already about judging those inside and outside the church. A verse that tends to get tossed around sloppily to condemn Christians to judge our insufferable intolerance. Is John 13:35 where Jesus says, "By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another." I wish people would read that more carefully. If you love who? The world everyone Did Jesus say by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love all people? Because that's what we're judged by the culture for not doing. We're not listening to what Jesus taught. People say Jesus loved everybody. You Christians are supposed to be like Jesus. Jesus loved loved everybody. He says to love everybody. Did he? He did say. Love your enemy. He did say that. But he didn't say, the world will know you are my disciples, that you love evildoers. That you love one another. Who are the one another's? Disciples. Not non-disciples. Christian, you are not to love non-Christians with the same kind of love that you love your fellow Christians. There's a special kind of love that you have for your brothers and sisters in Christ that you do not share with the world because there's a special love that God has for his children that he does not have for those who are not his children. When it comes to judging others, you are to be slower to judge your brothers and sisters in the church. That doesn't mean it's no holds barred when it comes to the non-Christians, right? The gloves don't come off for those who are outside the church. Your self-righteous spirit can still be held against you in your judgment of those who are not Christians. But how much more so in the church? I think that delineation, and yes, that discrimination, is apparent in the last verse, in verse 6, where Jesus talks about dogs and pigs. These aren't brothers. You see that? There's a little shift here. It's pretty obvious. There's a movement from how to judge people inside the church to how you treat people outside the church. Is Jesus saying, treat anyone who is outside the church like dogs and pigs? No, you know, don't don't leave here today saying, I can't believe the preacher said that. I didn't, I didn't say that. Jesus didn't say that, okay? In fact, there's a hint here, isn't there? The effort is being made to welcome and to invite image bearers who are on the outside into the inside. To welcome those who are outside the family into the family, into the kingdom of God. That means coming to them without prejudice, without prejudging. Without pre-qualification, without a self-righteous and condemning spirit. Coming to them without determining according to our own standard whether or not they're worthy. Because we know we're not worthy. So we invite people warmly and sincerely. welcoming We're welcoming them into the kingdom. But that welcoming means calling them to repentance so that they can be cleansed of their sin. That means calling people sinners. That's judgment, isn't it? And it's a wonderful offer. An offer to be forgiven of sin, freed from bondage to sin, free from the wrath of God that sin deserves. But dogs and pigs regard it as nothing. They don't see the value in it. Or even antagonistic toward it. Just kind of put a tie a bow on that. I want, I want us to be clear on this. Warning people about hell is not condemning them to hell. There's a way you can warn people about hell that is hateful. You can warn people about hell in a way that looks like you're wishing them there. Well, that's wrong. But holding the mirror of the law up to an image bearer of God and showing them their sin and warning them of the wrath of God and pleading with them to turn away from their sin and to come to Christ in faith is called evangelism. That's not hate speech. That's called preaching the gospel. But people don't take kindly to it. You remember in Acts chapter 7, they stoned Stephen They stoned Stephen for that. It was too much for him. They gnashed their teeth and picked up stones and killed him. What was Stephen's attitude toward them? Was it hateful? Not at all. He said some really hard things for them to hear. Stepped on a lot of toes. But as they hurled stones at him and as he was falling to his knees, he said, Lord, do not hold this against them. We have to be able to judge those inside the church, outside the church. In both cases, we judge according to God's revealed will in His Word and not according to our own standard. We don't call things sin because we think they're yucky or or tacky or untasteful or not conservative or not the way I grew up. Who cares? Who asked you? It's according to God's Word, He sets the standard. We're supposed to know where it is. And if we're going to be salt and light in the world, we have to be able to show people, hey, it's here. And yeah, I know you can't reach it. Let me tell you who can. In both cases, for those inside and outside the church, we we make these judgments. It's necessary to make these judgments because it's necessary to preserve the church. To guard her from error and to keep lines drawn that need to stay drawn. We don't blur these lines. We need to know where the kingdom of darkness ends and the kingdom of God begins. So let's, in closing, let's use some current event stuff here for a minute. This is low-level stuff, but it's areas we can apply this to to be discerning. What do you think about this whole Asbury revival thing? Have Have you heard about this? Surely you yeah. have. How, how are we to think about this? You know, if you haven't heard, there's this university in Kentucky where revival supposedly broken out. Students have participated in a, what did I hear, 12-something days long uh, spiritual awakening. What do you make of that? Best I can tell so far, there's really just two camps, right? You've got, like, the cynical naysayers. And, uh, and then you've got the ones who genuinely believe. This is a genuine supernatural work of God. The ones who believe it's genuine are judging the cynics for lacking faith and saying, this is why Christians can't have nice things. <laughs> can't ever enjoy anything. The cynics are judging the true believers for being too charismatic. George Whitfield. Traveled back and forth between Bristol, England, and colonial America, preaching the gospel. And on one of his return trips to America, he was approached by a man in the street who was falling down drunk. And says, Mr. Whitfield, it's so nice to see you again. I'm, I'm one of your converts from when you were here last and preached. Whitfield says, makes sense you'd be one of my converts. Had God converted you, you'd be a sober man by now. True revival leads to true conversion. And true conversion means a lifetime of walking with God. It's a permanent change that effectuates a wider change. And it just, it takes time to tell. So as it relates to the Asbury revival, time will tell. Love hopes all things, love believes all things. We don't We don't hope against it. We're praying for it. We want it so bad to be true. But time will tell, won't it? We should be discerning because it protects the witness of the church. We can't all just go about with our own measuring tapes and sizing things up. We judge according to God's word. How about the He Gets Us commercials? Lots of buzz in Christian circles over those, right? I didn't watch the Super Bowl. I heard they spent, I don't know, $100 million, something. You made any judgments about those? You seen them? Some people say, yeah, same team, right? If they're not against us, they're for us. Are they? Are they for us? Let me read you something from the He Gets Us website. It starts, it's not the typical message. Red flags for me right away according to the Bible, which warns me about someone proclaiming another Jesus from the one that the apostles proclaimed. But let's continue, let's hear them out. It's not the typical message, and it is anything but ordinary. The idea that Jesus is just like me as opposed to the message that I need to change to become more like him, is extraordinary to me. Yeah, me too, because it's not biblical. It completely transforms my thought process around Jesus. Oh boy, here it comes. It allows me to separate the idea of Jesus from the idea of religion. I'm immediately skeptical of any religious message. Jesus is God. Is that a religious message? How about the incarnation? Is that a religious message? How about the resurrection? Is that a religious message? How about heaven? How about hell? These are the religious messages he gets us is skeptical of. It finishes, but this message doesn't come with a request or any action item. Doesn't sound like the gospel to me. No call to repentance and faith. No no request from this Jesus who is king of kings and lord of lords who says come and die or don't come. But people say, yeah, but anything that draws more attention to Jesus in this fallen world is a good thing. You know, people say the same thing about that show, Chosen. Lots of people saying lots of things about that, too, right? What does God say? God says that anything that draws your attention to an incomplete Jesus is not Jesus, and that's idolatry. That's what God says. And his standard is the only one you need to use in making judgments about these things, even these little things, just things we see pop up on social media and on the news. we got to be able to make our way through those things. we got to have a, a measuring stick, right? We've got to have some, some guide rails and, and, and guards. But we're tempted, aren't we? We're tempted to apply our own standard. We say, well, for me, I see it as being a good thing. And, and, I, and I like it, and I think people who don't are just being too judgy. Well, and you're not. <laughs> you're judging either way, and that's fine. It's just a question of what standard you're using to make your judgment. People say, well, it's not that black and white. What color is that right there? The basis of our judgment is to be the revealed will of God and not our own preferences and whims. Right judgment is necessary for, for preserving the church, y'all, and hopefully we can all agree this morning that if there's no judgment, there's no gospel. Jesus didn't come to save the righteous. You remember that? He came to save sinners. What is sin? It's not just people's choices and behaviors that I disapprove of. It's not just things about people that I don't like and condemn. God tells us in his word what sin is. If there's no judgment to be made by us regarding sin, there's no offer of salvation for us to give. And that's the most valuable thing we have to offer anyone. Romans 8 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I would hate to be limited to one verse in presenting the gospel to someone, but if I had to pick one, I'd probably pick that one. The gospel's so much bigger than that, but if if I were begging someone to flee from their sin and to run to Christ, I'd probably pick that one because it tells the sinner who he is, that there is such a thing as condemnation and they're under it, but it offers them the hope there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It begs the question, doesn't it? Are you in or are you out? It's a distinction. It's a judgment. Are you in or are you out? Floods coming, ark's leaving. Are you in or are you out? Don't let the world convince you, y'all. That you're a hateful, bigoted, judgmental Christian because you know how high the stakes are for eternity. And that you genuinely want to see people leave their sin and to follow Christ. It's necessary for us to be able to make those judgments in order to be able to do that, that God has called us to do. We'd be useless in the kingdom if we were too afraid to do that. Let's pray. Lord, for your people, for your church, give us wisdom. Bless your people, Lord, with discernment. If we have those, we will be able to judge ourselves rightly, and so we will be humble in our judgment of others. Our judgments will be based on your word and not on our whims, and our judgments will serve your purposes and not our own. Do that for your people, Father, and for those who are not your people, give them eyes to see and ears to hear, so they recognize their shepherd's voice when they hear it, so that they recognize truth when they hear it, and they accept the offer of the gospel, to repent of their sin and to turn to Christ in faith for forgiveness of sin and life everlasting. Lord God, I pray you would be pleased to use us to call them in. In Jesus' name, amen.